Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Tonight's message, tonight's message is entitled, This Rearing Obedient Children. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray tonight that you would take the truths that uh, are found in these verses. And Lord, throughout the rest of the Bible, uh, Lord, as we explore some different places as well, and Lord, that you would imprint these truths on our heart. Lord, if there's one thing that this country lacks, it's parents who know how to rear godly children. And Lord, if there's one thing that a lot of churches lack, is churches church filled with parents that know how to rear obedient and godly children. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that you would help me to take the truths that you have taught me along the path, uh, my personal journey in parenting. And Lord, that you would help me to convey those in a way that makes sense. Lord, may we leave here tonight better at home than we were before we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Got a whole lot to say tonight on this topic, so let's just jump right into the outline uh, here. Number one there would be the command, the command for obedience. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says this, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So children are commanded to obey us as parents. Uh, All of you here today, I don't really see any children in the room. Uh, All of us are children, uh, right? But I don't see any little children in the room. Uh, And so uh, how many of you in here are parents? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so then your children are commanded to obey you. And that doesn't matter how good of a parent you are. They are commanded to obey you. Not only are they commanded to obey you, they're commanded to honor you. And that honor means that they obey with a great attitude and they obey with a respectful attitude. Now, while we don't have any little uh, children in here of adolescence age, all of us in here are uh, have parents. We're all children. We all have parents. And we're commanded to honor those parents. Uh, I'll just say this uh, early on in the introduction. When does a child cease being uh, under their parents' rule? Can I give you my opinion on that? You cease to be under your parents' rule when you move out of their house and you're totally on your own. Now, parents, if you are one of those that have a child living under your roof, and you're not charging them rent. And that's totally between you and them, how you work that. But if you are a child living in your parents' house, then your parents get to call some of the shots. And if you don't like that, then you can move out and pay your own rent and all that stuff. Uh, so um, um, children, uh, the idea there is that you leave your mother and your father and you cleave under your spouse and if you want to live at home, like I, I have no exceptions to that. If my children are in their mid-20s, upper-20s, even in their 30s and 40s, if uh, they need to live in my house, they can live in my house. I want them to live in my house. Amen? I hope I have a great relationship with my children. Uh, but uh, as long as, and again, if you're a parent here and you've got a setup with your children that works, I'm not trying to put my fingers in that. Amen? Uh, but if your parents, uh, if you're single, living at home, single living at home and your, uh, your parents are paying your way, then your parents get to call some of the shots. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So we see here the commandment.
for obedience, the commandment for honoring. We're to honor our parents and we're to obey our, our children, or the, the ones that live in the house, or to obey their parents. So let me ask a question tonight, uh, since we don't have any children in here. Are you doing what is necessary to get your children to obey you? Have you created an environment at home where your children want to obey you? We want to help them to do right. We want to walk them to a place where uh, obedience comes natural and it's very easy for them. So we see the commandment for obedience. Let's look at number two, the compensation for obedience. Now we're going to spend most of the time, in fact, almost all the time in point three. Uh, point one and two are just basically meant to set up point three there. But the compensation for obedience, look at verse three, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And we get the same uh, promise out of uh, Exodus, where we just read a few moments ago that uh, it's the first commandment, the Bible says, with promise, with promise that there will be this compensation for obeying. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, as all of you know. Um, I have heard, I don't even know how to venture to guess, 5,000 sermons, 10,000 sermons in my life. I've, I've been preached to a lot. Amen. I'm still rotten, but have been preached to a lot. Uh, and I probably only remember a dozen, maybe two dozen sermons. How many of you here have been in church 20, 30 years, and you really can only recall off the top of your head 15 to 20 sermons from your past, right? Uh, this was one of the ones I remember, and this was such an unorthodox sermon from someone who is just uh, wasn't even a preacher that it has just stuck with me all these years. As a young man, I, I was maybe nine or ten years old. I was sitting in chapel uh, at our, our Christian school chapel service, and we had chapel on Wednesdays, and, and I hated it because you had to wear a tie to school that day. I just hated wearing a tie. I still hate wearing a tie, uh, but, uh, you know, i got to do it as part of the profession there. Uh, but uh, I remember uh, uh, having to wear a tie to school on Wednesdays, and I remember co- going into chapel and sitting in there, and we would sing and have the, the Bible sword drills, and uh, my father was a school administrator. He had lined up one of the most unorthodox guys to speak. And the guy, the guy was a church member, and he came to my dad, and he asked if he could uh, take the chapel time and, and share something with the students. And my dad, he told my dad what he wanted to share, and my dad agreed to it. And so he got up, and he read, again, just, this is southern Mississippi, kind of hillbilly Mississippi. He may have even wearing uh, overalls. I don't remember what he was wearing, but... Very southern, uh, thick draw. He got up and he read Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And then he went on to tell us this. He said, uh, I stand before you today in my upper 30s and I know my life is almost over. He started to tear up. And the room just went, I mean, no one was moving. He said this, he said, As a child and as a teenager, I lived a very rebellious lifestyle. He said, I hated my mom and I hated my dad, and I did exactly the opposite of whatever it was that they had told me to do and whatever it was they wanted me to do. Um, he continued to speak, but again, that strong voice began to quiver a bit. And then he just put his head down, stared at his Bible, and kind of him hauled around. And then he said, he said, as an 18-year-old boy... He said, I had a huge verbal fight with my father. And he told me that if I couldn't keep the rules of the house, 
And he said, if I couldn't respect my mom, then I wasn't allowed in the house anymore. And he kicked me out. At this point, he just was, he, he, he just had tears running down his cheeks. He said, I left and I never called. He said, I just wanted to live my life my way and I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. He said, I couldn't stand my dad because he had kicked me out, but he said, in the bottom of my heart, I knew it was my fault. He said, years later, my phone rang and it was, it was a family member and they had told me that my dad was dead. He had died suddenly in a tragic accident. I remember sitting there and, again, the room was just frozen. We're staring at this guy. I mean, look, we'd been in chapel after chapel after chapel after chapel. We knew the routine. We had never heard anything like this before. He said this. He said, I'm trying to repair things between my mother and I, but it's been difficult. My mom, my mom really holds such a grudge over the way I behaved that she really doesn't want to have anything to do with me. He said, I've made some ends with her, but it's been tough. He said this, he said, I know that I will die at a young age. I know my days are numbered because I disrespected my parents on every level. And then he looked up at us with tears coming down his cheeks. He said, young people... It does not matter how good or bad of a job your parents are doing. You need to obey them. You need to honor them. You need to respect them. Because if you don't, you, you're just not promised to live a long life. We, uh, shortly after that, we moved to the state of Alabama. And after we'd moved there, uh, we got a call that that man had died of cancer in his 40s. Um, I've heard thousands of sermons, but that one stuck with me. That one stuck with me. Let me say tonight that I have known people who have honored and obeyed their parents. And for one reason or another, God has chosen to take them home. But I've not known anyone who is nasty and disrespectful toward their parents who lived a long life. I've not known one. Um, so with that said, with that said... Let me just encourage you tonight to help your children obey you. Because if they don't, it's going to be tragic for them later in their own life. And so, um, I know that's a somber story. That's a sad story. But uh, I, I want to kind of to, to flip the coin over tonight and ask this question. How do we set our homes up to where our children want to obey us? How do we set our homes up to where... We have a structure of fun, but yet a structure of obedience. Notice number three, the configuration of obedience. Look at uh, verse four there in Ephesians chapter six. The Bible says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let me just say this up front, that if you don't bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you're going to provoke them to wrath. You just are. You ever been there where you're sitting in a restaurant and some mother or father with this nasty attitude scolds their child and embarrasses them in front of the whole restaurant? You ever been there? You ever been walking through a store and you heard a mother or a father just angrily, angrily yell at and belittle their child? They're not raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
what they're doing is they're repeating a vicious cycle. Many parents who talk to their children that way, they were talked to that way when they were little. Now let me just say this. You are going to bring into your marriage and into your parenting that which you got from your parents. You're going to do that because that's all you really know. And I would say this is that God has said this. He says we are to leave mother and father and cleave unto our spouse and we're to be one. And that could be alliterated leave, cleave, and weave. You leave mother and father, you cleave to your spouse, and then you spend the rest of your lives weaving your hearts together. Uh, As you're leaving mother and father, you don't just physically, geographically leave their home but you're also leaving behind their bad parenting habits. You've got to identify where mom and dad were weak, and you've got to say, I'm not going to be weak there. Now, you are who your parents are. And unless you, do, unless you make a conscious decision to set that aside, you're going to end up repeating history. Many parents have beat their children, and we're going to get into, I don't know if we'll get into it tonight, but at some point as your pastor, we'll get into how to spank. Uh, It's biblical to spank. It's correct to spank. Don't let the secular world around you tell you that it's wrong. But it is wrong to beat your kids. It is wrong to spank them or hit them out of anger. It's a sin. And I would even say it's abuse. Uh, But uh, many people will beat their kids and throw them up against the wall or pick them up and pin them up against the wall when they disrespect mom. Listen, just because mom or dad did that doesn't mean that it's okay for you to do that. But on the flip side of that, uh, just because mom or dad didn't spank doesn't mean it's okay for you not to spank. There is a right and a wrong way to do this. So I would say this tonight, I would ask all of you to do this, to leave any preconceived ideas you have about parenting, uh, b- put those in check, and let's look at what God says about this, and let's do it God's way. Some of you here tonight, uh, your children are grown, they're out of the house, and this might conjure up some regret that you have, I would say uh, that uh, it's okay. It's okay. And I would say this too, if you're here tonight and you have children, uh, be careful about telling them how to do their job. I'm talking about adult children that now you're a, grand, you're a grandparent. Be careful about telling your children how to do their job. Be very, I, I would really warn you about that. Don't meddle in their marriage. If they come to you and they ask you, by all means at that point, uh, you can help them. Uh, get some good materials on parenting and pass those along to them and pray that they will listen to them or that they will read to them. But let's jump into this tonight. We're going to take the word love, and I'm going to give it to you as an acrostic, and we're going to look at four key elements in parenting tonight. And this won't be an all-inclusive uh, concept on parenting, but we'll hit many of the, uh, many of the different uh, positive concepts on parenting. So letter L on your back of your uh, b- bulletin there, your prayer bulletin, would be the word laughter. Laughter. Proverbs chapter 17 In verse 22, says this, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Proverbs 25.11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Word fitly spoken like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. A, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the Bible tells us. And so your home needs to be a place of fun Your home needs to be a place of positive excitement. Your home needs to be a place of 
togetherness. Now, when I was a child, uh, the uh, the uh, game systems that were out were not very good. Okay, uh, and some of you game systems weren't out at all when you were children. You had to go to the arcade and you had to play them there, right? Uh, but uh, I've I, I got to tell you that when I was a child, most children my age, we could play for a little bit, but the graphics weren't very good. And so you play for 30 minutes, maybe an hour, you turn it off and you went on the next thing. Now game systems are so advanced that it's like you're stepping into another world. And if you're not careful, mom and dad, game systems uh, or even an iPhone or an Android device can steal away a child and can prevent that from uh, 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 having fun at home. Let me define some words for you tonight. The word bedroom, bedroom. The bedroom is the place where the bed of one resides. The bedroom is a room meant for sleeping. Sleeping. Not hanging out. Not avoiding family contact. Sleeping. Okay, living room. Let me define that one for you. The living room is a place where people socialize and interact. It is a place where memories are made and laughs are shared. Get your children out of their bedrooms. Get them in the living room. Turn off the cellular devices. Turn off the TV and interact with each other and have a good time. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with a video game here or there. And I would say this tonight, if you're a parent and your children have video game systems, listen, go in there and play a video game with them. Have fun with them. Uh, uh, see uh, who can uh, win at Mario or who can win at uh, some racing game or play them in uh, NBA 2K17 or whatever the latest game is. Get in there and interact with them and have a good time with them. And so if the game system's on, make it a family event. Uh, but other than that, uh, uh, keep those things in moderation and turn off the devices, turn off the TV and have a great time. It ought to be that your children are not asking if they can go over to such and such's house so they can have fun, but that they want to bring their friends to your house because your house is the center of fun. Uh, the kids are saying, man, your parents are awesome. Can we go over and hang out at your house? Uh, I want your mom to make me her whatever snack, and I want to uh, play a board game with your family, and I want to have a great time. Uh, but uh, have fun in your home. Uh, you got to make sure that you laugh and that you laugh often. One pastor uh, uh, that I know of, he had several kids, and they all turned out great. I believe they're all serving the Lord in the ministry somewhere. And uh, he gets asked all the time, he said, how did you have, how did you produce such good children? And you know what he said? He said, a lot of Friday nights, we had pizza and ping pong. Pizza and ping pong. We'd buy pizza and we'd play ping pong with each other. And we, had it, we kept it light. We had fun. Uh, don't be so caught up at work and so caught up in, in uh, whatever TV or, or, or coming, oh, I'm tired. I, don't, I, I just want to sit in, the t- in my chair and stare at the TV. No, listen, come home and save some of your best energy for your family. And so uh, the, first, uh, the letter L in the word love is laughter. You've got to have fun together. What's the old saying? The family that laughs together stays together. The family that laughs together stays together. So have a lot of fun together. The letter O would stand for this openness. Openness. Several thought, uh, several times when I have uh, stood before a group of teenagers, I have asked them this question. How many of you have ever gone off by yourself alone and chewed your parents out because you didn't feel like you had a forum to tell them how you felt 
without being labeled without being labeled as disrespectful. Now, when I've asked teenagers that question, obviously their parents weren't in the room. Almost every time, all but one or two teenagers raised their hand. And by the way, the one or two that didn't raise their hand, they were very disrespectful to their parents all the time. They were just allowed to get away with it. Um, I know growing up in my home, uh, I was not allowed to say anything back. My dad would tell me how it was, and I didn't ask him why, because I wasn't allowed to ask why. And, um, and uh, there was never any room for me to interact back. And i got to tell you, what that caused was a lot of frustration on my part. And so I would go outside, I'd find an empty place, and I would vent. I would let my parents have it. Uh, now, I'll say this about my, my dad. My dad was uh, saved as a teenage boy uh, out of a very secular home, and he went off to Bible college and uh, married my mom, and my father had no idea how to do this parenting thing. He went from a single home with a dad who committed suicide at eight years old getting saved at 17 in a secular family, to just a couple of years later being my father. And here he is trying to raise me up the right way. I'll say this, I am unbelievably impressed with the learning curve my dad had to face and how great of a job he's done in raising seven children with my mother. This was one area that maybe he fell a little short in at times where I didn't have an avenue to tell him how I felt. Now, uh, when you have a child that's six, seven, and eight years old, they ask why a lot. How many of you have a children that are in that why stage? Why this? Why that? At some point you're like, just because, leave me alone, right? You ever feel that way? But when they get to 16, 17, and 18, they think objectively. They're asking why, not because you know everything. They're asking why because they think that you don't know anything. How many of you were that teenager, 16, 17, 18? Um, you know, when they ask why, you need to try to tell them why. I am never for arguing with your child. I think it is, don't ever get into this arguing with mom or dad. Don't fall into that where you let them argue with you. But I do think it's wise for a parent with a teenager to give that child, that teenager, an open forum where they can sit at a table and they can have a open, honest air forum discussion. And they can tell mom and dad how they feel about a rule. And mom and dad let them finish their sentence. And mom and dad then respond with logical, common sense. You have a conversation about it. Now, if that conversation ever turns hostile, immediately the conversation's over and where things were drawn, that's where they stand. You're never going to argue with your child, but you've got to give them an avenue in which to talk to you. Let me say this as well. If I could take this a different uh, direction while we're on this topic of openness. Uh, do you know why the public school has implemented sex education? We all know that the public schools teach our kids the facts of life. The reason, the reason why they claimed they needed to do that was because mom and dads were not teaching their children about that topic. And mom and dad, I have to tell you, you are responsible for talking to your children about the birds and the bees. You have to be the one that tells them. You don't want them finding out from their fifth grade buddy. You don't want them finding out from uh, some dirty movie that they've watched over at some friend's house. 
You don't want them finding out at the public school. Uh, you need to make sure that you are the avenue of how they get that. Now, four, five, six, well, probably further back than that, 15, 20 years ago, uh, you could have waited till your child was 13, 14, or 15, and you could have talked to them about that. Maybe a little further back than that. You can't wait till they're 13 or 14 or 15 today. Listen, you can raise them in a bubble, and you can try to control everything around them. Somehow or another, they're going to find out how this works, and so they need to find out from you. You say, well, pastor, what's your plan? Well, my oldest is in the second grade and my youngest is um, in first grade. My plan is that when uh, Matthew gets to fourth grade, I will talk to Matthew. And when April gets to fourth grade, Angela will talk to April. We're not going to go into gross details, but we're going to give them the very bare basics. The very bare basics. You say, fourth grade? Listen, I would rather tell them a little young and let me control it then risk them finding out from some other place. You want to establish this spirit of openness on this topic with your child. You don't want your child feeling awkward on this topic with you. Now, look, I get that it's awkward. It's awkward for me to preach this right now. You have no idea. (laughs) But it's necessary. It's necessary that I address it, and it's necessary that you address it with your children. And then by the time they get to the seventh grade, you need a have a follow-up conversation where maybe you give them a few more details. And as far as how many details and what you say, I would love to talk to you about that on the side, or if your lady, Angela, can talk to you about that on the side. Sorry, I just volunteered you for that. Um, uh, If you'd like, we can uh, try to help you through that or with that. But you need to make sure they get that from you as the mom or the dad. And if you're in a single-parent home uh, and you have a son uh, or a daughter that's the opposite of your gender... Uh, and then uh, maybe you seek out a wise, godly woman in the church or a wise, godly man in the church, and you have them talk to them about that if you're not comfortable doing that. But this is something that needs to happen, and they need to understand that if they have questions on this topic, that they can come to you and they can ask you anything, and you will do your best to answer it. If they feel like they have that openness with you, then it will prevent them from running to the world to seek those answers. I I heard a a preacher uh, talking about this one time, and he said that uh, he was in the uh, kitchen, and his son had his buddies over. His son was in the junior high, and they were all up in the the garage, and the door was open, and they had no idea that Dad was at the kitchen. And one of the teenagers said to the pastor's son, they said, do you guys know anything about sex? And the pastor's son spoke up and he said, oh, yes, I know plenty. And I don't need to talk to any of you about it because my dad already told me all that I need to know. And he said if I need to know anything else, I could go and talk to him. Wow, that dad, that put a big smile on his face. I tell you tonight that your children need to feel like they have an openness with you on that topic. And they can go and talk to you about it. There needs to be a spirit of free-flowing communication between you and that child, just the other day, um, and, and again, pulling the curtain back to my family a little bit here, just the other day, um, uh, Angela and April went into A.C. Moore to do some shopping. Me and Matthew waited in the car because we don't like going in A.C. Moore. Uh, we just don't feel like there's anything there that we're interested in. But Matthew and I were in the car. We put on a Patch of the Pirate CD, and we were listening to that. And 
I asked Matthew a question. Now, again, he's in the second grade, and this will open many of your eyes, especially some of you moms. You may just not understand. I asked Matthew a question. I said, you know when we're in the grocery store and you walk past those magazines by the checkout with the girls that aren't dressed right, or we're walking through the mall and we walk past the store with the, the, where they sell the ladies' underwear, I said, are you tempted to look at what you see? And he said to me, he said, yeah, I, I am. I am tempted to look. I said, do you understand that it's a sin to look? He said, it is a sin. It is a sin. He said, I know it is. He said, but dad, it's hard. It's tough. He's in the second grade. Moms, you've got to protect your kids. The other day we were watching a football game and it came off of commercials and sure enough, the cameras centered right on the cheerleaders. And Matthew looked away and I looked away and Matthew, Matthew caught my eyes and he said, Dad, it is so hard to look away. It is so... Well, you know what I've done with my son? We have established communication on this topic to where now he feels like he has an openness to talk with me about it. And so I would tell you that you've got to have that spirit of openness with your children. The letter V in the word love is the word vision. The word vision. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, the Bible says this. It says... Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, we've all heard this verse taught on, preached on many, many times. Let me give you an interesting fact about this verse. If you go up a few verses, the context of verse 18 is parenting. It's parenting. It's talking about raising children just a few verses before. And so uh, the Bible again there says, where there is no vision, the people or the children perish. You have to have a vision for your children. You can't just uh, raise them from the time they're born until the time 18 and then go, oh, well, I wonder what they're going to do now. No, it's your job to plan out and scope out for their life exactly who you want them to be as human beings. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you have short-term goals for your children? Uh, Do you have academic goals for them? Listen, I think it's great that you give your children a reward when they bring home an exceptional report card. Uh, If your child is a very, very smart child and does well at school, then you ought to expect straight A's out of them if you know they're capable of it. And when they bring that home, you ought to take them out and get them ice cream. Amen? What are you doing? You're rewarding their good behavior. Uh, Maybe uh, you have another system. Your child may struggle at school. I know for uh, myself, Angela and I had this conversation the other day talking about uh, school. Uh, we, we both made pretty good grades in school, but both of us had to work very, very hard to get them. And there were times where I was an A-B student, and a B was the best, absolute best I could do. And you might have a child that way. Listen, you hold the child accountable to what you know they're capable of, but do you have an academic goal? Do you have extracurricular goals? Do you hold them to a standard when it comes to music or sports? Uh, uh, is there a goal there that you have in place for them? How about long-term goals? Uh, do you do you uh, have or do you talk to your child regularly about a quality of a future life partner? I, I wish I had another hour, but I've got about about ten minutes, and I've, I've got to shut it down. But I feel the need to share this. When I was about nine years old, when my mom would tuck me in bed at night, she had me begin praying for my future wife. Every night I would pray. I would say, "Dear Lord." You know who it is I'm going to marry someday. Will you keep them chaste? Will you keep them pure? And will you keep them safe? 
when I got engaged to Angela, Angela shared a story with me that uh, she was in a she was not raised in a Christian home. She was raised in a good moral home, but not a Christian home. She was put in a position where she could have been violated and taken advantage of at 15 or 16. In fact, it was just her and another uh, guy her age uh, left there uh, in, in an area. And the friend she was with was in a back bedroom with a guy doing what, what your mind is imagining they would, would have been doing. The two of them were left there alone, and she was very vulnerable. And she said, she said to me, she said, I have no idea why that guy didn't. But now I know why, because you are praying for me. I was on the other side of the planet, but my mother had me praying for her, that she would be safe. And when we got married, we got married as chaste virgins on that wedding day. Why? Because I had begun praying as a nine-year-old boy for my future spouse. Do you talk about that with your children? Do you talk about what quality of spouse you want them to marry? We're talking about a vision. We're talking about casting that vision with your children on a regular basis. Listen, you need to talk about the kind of lifestyle you expect out of your child when they're this tall. They're this tall. You need to be talking about them what kind of lifestyle you expect them to live all the way up. And don't start talking to them about it at 14, 15, and 16 when their minds are already made up going a certain direction. No, embed that in them. Someone would say, Pastor, that's brainwashing them. Listen, I would rather their brain be washed with the Bible than washed with the filthiness of the world. And so, wash their brains with a good, positive lifestyle at a small age. Talk to them about manhood and womanhood. I've said this uh, a few times uh, from the pulpit, but I'll say it again here, is that I'm not interested in raising Matthew to be in the ministry. I'm interested in raising Matthew to be a godly young man that loves the Lord. I want him to know Christian manhood. I'm not interested in raising April to be a missionary's wife or a pastor's wife. It would thrill me to death if they made those choices. I want April to learn to be exactly like her mother. I want her to be a good, godly Christian woman. I want her to be an effeminate girl. I want my son to be a masculine boy. But I'm talking about casting a vision uh, for them and talking those things up. How about God's goals for their life? How about a vision from God? God's short-term goal, uh, what is that? That's for them to have a personal walk with God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with incentivizing your children to read their Bible. Now, I'll just throw this out here. My parents never made me read my Bible. They didn't make me do that. Um, I've known parents that have made their children read their Bible, and I've seen it work out well. I've also seen it backfire in parents' face. Um, and so if you make your children read their Bible, or maybe you're here and your children are all, you made them read their Bible, that's fine. My personal uh, take on that, my personal thought on that, would be to incentivize them walking with God encourage them to walk with God, make it fun for them to walk with God, but don't make it dictatorial where they drudge it and they hate it. But talk that up. Talk about your walk with God. And if you don't have one, get one. And make it positive and wonderful. Uh, talk, uh, talk to them about the importance of having a godly attitude. Talk to them about the importance of having a desire to share their faith with the world around them. Listen, uh, I, I would say that uh, I, I uh, am very confident in sharing the gospel, but by and large, the reason why I am is because when I was seven and eight years old, I was my father's soul winning partner. 
Listen, I led my first two souls to the Lord. There were uh, uh, two uh, African-American girls that were probably 12 or 13 years old, maybe a little older than that. And I led them to the Lord in some projects there in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I was 12 years old when it happened. But the day I led them to the Lord, I was scared out of my mind. I was nervous. But I knew how to do it because I had watched my dad lead hundreds of people to the Lord in the five or six years uh, that I had gone soul winning with him. And so, listen, take your children out and let them see you do that. How about God's long-term goal? Listen, I tell Matthew and April all the time that they do not belong to me. They belong to God. And I am just trying to raise them up in a way where I can give them back to Him. I've been entrusted with them. I am stewarding them, but they are His. You know why I talk to them like that? Because I want them to get that they're not doing what's right just to please me and Mom. They're doing what's right because they want to please Him. And long after they've moved out of the house, long after they've hit adulthood, it's God they're working to please, not me. So casting a vision. Letter E for the word love there, and we're running short on time, is the word enforcement. Enforcement. I wish I had this for you on the screen. I, I failed to get that up there. But let me give you this real quick. Um, there are, uh, there's a mathematical equation I like to share uh, for parenting. And um, they involve basically three words. And so jot this down there in that note section or wherever you have a spot. Rules minus relationship equal rebellion. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. If I could illustrate that, I would say think of a dictatorial uh, uh, drill instructor dad who comes home and he just barks out orders at the kids and he punishes them harshly when they don't come under and obey, but he has no time to throw the ball with his son in the yard. He has no time to take his daughter on a date. He has no time to spend with them. It's just rules, 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 rules. If you're all about rules and you don't balance that with relationship, what you're going to end up with is a rebellious child. The second one would be this. You can write this under that one. Relationship minus rules equals rebellion. Relationship minus rules equals rebellion. Now, I don't know too many parents that struggle with rules, 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 rules. But I'll tell you what I do see, especially in today's era of parenting, is I just want to be my child's friend. Will you please sit down and eat your macaroni and cheese? Please? Oh, you don't want to? Oh, it's okay. I'll save it for you for later. How many of you have seen that kind of parenting? Let me say this. Go to a Chick-fil-A and sit in the play place, and you can tell which parents are good and which ones aren't when it's time for the children to leave. With us, we say, all right, Matthew, April, three more minutes. Okay, Mommy. Okay, Daddy. Two more minutes. One more minute. All right, put your shoes on. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I see parents. It's time to go. Ah! Kids running up the slide. They got hold of the leg and they're trying to pull them down. The kid's kicking and screaming. Those are the same children that run up the slide. It's like, you little brat, you go down the slide. You don't go up the slide. I hope my kid comes down and takes you out. I'm being somewhat facetious. But what happens is you... You coddle and you coddle and you coddle and you coddle and you coddle. 
And then they get to be 16, 17, 18, and they've never been told no on anything. And they end up being rotten and rebellious. And then they enter the world, and they, their candidate loses an election, and they pitch a fit in the street. Now listen, I don't care which candidate would have lost that behavior is exactly what I'm talking about. And that behavior comes from parents who never told their children no. And some of them are probably paid. Let me give you one more. And this would be how to enforce. Relationship plus rules equals a joy, joyous obedience. Relationship plus rules equals joyous obedience. How does this work? To the degree that you have a relationship with your children... To that same degree, you can punish them. There have been times in my parenting where I have gotten on Matthew or I have gotten on April and I have noticed a little bit of an attitude coming back. And you know what my natural instinct as a dad is? Is, you don't talk to me that way. But you know what I have to always ask myself is this. Have I been spending the time with them that I ought to be? Because the more time I'm spending with them, the greater depth I now have to punish them. And it's not just I'm playing on my phone while they're going down the slide at the playground. I need to be up there going down the slide with them. It's not just they're playing a board game at the table and I'm sitting there and I'm surfing Facebook, which I don't have Facebook, but I'm doing whatever on my phone. Uh, no, I need to be playing the game and interacting with him. I need to be taking my daughter out on a date or I need to be taking my son out and doing things with him. The depth of that relationship, now I can come in and I can enforce the rules as hard and as heavy as I want. And let me say this, when you get to a place where you're spending a lot of time with your children, you have a lot of room to punish and punish very harshly. But if you're not spending the time with them and you punish them, what you're going to end up with is a very rebellious child on your hands. And so show the relationship and balance that with rules. There is a perfect balance there of giving that relationship and enforcing those rules. I'll finish with this illustration. I was a basketball coach for five years. Uh, the last time I coached, I coached a girls team for, I think, three years. I loved it. I loved it. I love sports. Um, Played basketball in high school, uh, did well at it, loved it. Uh, played basketball in, a, in college in an intercollegiate league that wasn't very competitive, but I had fun, loved it. Um, uh, loved coaching. But there's one thing about sports that really gets on my nerves, and that's bad referees. Bad referees. When I coached that girls' league, it was highly competitive. Most girls' basketball are jump balls and travels, Right? But that wasn't the case. This was a really highly competitive girls' league. And so you got into a good game, and the referees mattered. They mattered greatly. And you didn't like to have a referee that wouldn't blow his whistle when the ball went out of bounds. The ball hits the line, and you're right there. You're coaching. You're sitting on the sideline. You see the ball hit the line. The referee has an angle where he sees the ball hits the line, and he doesn't blow his whistle. And you're thinking, I know you saw it, bud. Blow your whistle. Or the, the girl's got the, her foot and she steps out of bounds and steps back in and the referee misses the call. Drive, drove me nuts as a coach. Drove the girls nuts. What am I getting at with this? There are boundaries on a basketball court. And everybody expects that when the ball goes out of bounds, that the whistle's going to be blown, including the team 
who sent the ball out of bounds. Let me give you some principles here. Here, Let me draw some parallels between coaching basketball and parenting. Number one would be this. Make sure the boundaries are clearly defined. You go onto a basketball court, and there is a clear line that runs around the parameter. You need to make sure that the boundaries in your home are clearly defined. Let me encourage you to do this. Write out your rules and post them on your refrigerator. Everybody goes to the refrigerator, don't they? Post them on the refrigerator. Now, if you're here and this is a new concept for you, I would really recommend that you have a family meeting and you say this to your children. You say, we have not been consistent in our enforcement of the rules here at home. And for that, I apologize to you as your mom or as your dad. But beginning today, here are the rules. They are posted on the refrigerator. If you break them, you will be in trouble. Say it sweetly, say it kindly, but put them there. Which would bring us to our second parallel. Blow the whistle every time the boundaries are crossed. Blow the whistle every time the boundaries are crossed. Here's what I'm saying. Punishment first time every time. Some of you, your children only obey when you yell at them. Do you know why they wait till you yell at them? Because they know you don't mean business until you start yelling. But if you tell them, stop in a calm voice, and they don't, and then you punish, then they know mom means business when she says stop the first time. How would a cow feel if the electric fence that ran around that pasture only worked 20% of the time? Well, he could walk through it sometimes, most of the time, but then that 20% of the time... That's how a lot of parents are. You know, you're, you're really consistent one day, and then you go a week or two and you're not consistent, and then you're quick to punish, and then you're not, and then you're quick to punish, and then you're not, and your children are like, Ah, I can't figure this out! Punish every time, the first time. And you, what your children will find is that they know where the boundaries are, and they can enjoy living inside of them. The third parallel I draw, and lastly, boy, I'm really pushing the time here, have a good spirit about you when you blow the whistle. Have a good spirit about you when you blow the whistle. Never punish out of anger. Um, I've seen referees call a foul. And when they call the foul, they've got an attitude about them when they call it. Burr! And you just stare them down. You know what? That just is an, it's condescending. It's intimidating. It's unkind. Listen, your children want to know that when they break the rules, yes, they have broken the rules, but you still love them anyway. You still love them anyway. And so enforcement, enforcement. How much love flows at your home? Laughter, openness, vision, enforcement. Some of us probably need to push some reset buttons on all those things, but Ephesians 6.3 ends that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. I want my children to live in their 80s and their 90s, Lord willing, and enjoy their life and enjoy the fruit of their life. But it, I have to create an environment at home where it's, it's condu- conducive to obedience. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed.